welcome everyone to another As One of Ten. It's lovely to have you with us. I wonder how lockdown has been for you this week, particularly as Easter weekend's come to an end and the children are perhaps back at their virtual school. As someone who's very active, for me being in lockdown has in part meant just finding jobs to do. Yes, I've been working, but I've also taken the opportunity to do some puzzles, to do some gardening, to do some online photo albums or anything else that I can find. I don't get bored, but I do find it more challenging to come before God, quietly listen to him, to consider what he might be saying to me in this season, to be still and to know that he is God. Later this morning, John is going to teach us from Psalm 127, which begins, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. We don't know how long lockdown will last, but I know that I don't want to labour in vain and just rush around doing my stuff with no reference to God. Instead, this morning, as we gather, why don't we ask him together to show us where he wants us to put our energies, our time, to let him do the building in our lives, in our families, our households, but also as his church family, as his, this community of St Swithens gathered this morning. Let's pray together. The message version of Psalm 127 says, It's useless to rise early and go to bed late and working your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Father, we thank you this morning that you know us and you love us that you long for us to enjoy your rest and your company. In this season, as lockdown continues, may we have our hearts and eyes open to what you are saying to us, longing to do in our lives, and so grow to know you better and love you more. Teach us to slow down and to enjoy you. Amen. Good morning. Our script today comes from the mind and heart of Solomon, a man who sought after God's wisdom more than anything else. His desire was to rule over his nation wisely and to have a discerning heart, to govern God's people and to distinguish between right and wrong. I suppose the natural question that arises from the first verse of Psalm 127 is, how do we make sure we do not labour in vain? Labouring in vain is hugely demoralising. My wife can confirm that I am spectacularly unskilled when it comes to DIY, to the extent that I often struggle pathetically even when following flat pack instructions. An afternoon spent with an Allen key and a box of wooden planks leaves me sweaty and frustrated, and just a little angry at the person who came up with the original design. I often reach the end, triumphant, before realising that something is on backwards or that I should have used bolt A instead of bolt F and I have to start again. Church building can feel this way too. We seek to follow the instructions, which can sometimes seem a little opaque, and we might have a set idea about what something should look like when it is finished. But sometimes in churches, as is often the case in any human endeavour, the component parts do not quite fit together the way we imagined and we end up tempted to manipulate and force the pieces to meet seamlessly against their will. And ultimately, we might build a bookcase that just won't last under the weight of a heavy burden. The answer to this problem 
is found in Psalm 127 and is remarkably simple. If something is going to last, God needs to build it. There is a stark illustration of the differing building approaches of God and humans at the very beginning of the Bible. God builds the world in Genesis 1, taking time over each step, declaring each layer to be good or very good before adding the next, like a painter allowing his masterpiece to evolve over time. God's intention in the building of the garden was to build a place where he could dwell with us. His design was about relationship, community and harmony with his people as an expression of his deep love for those he had made in his image. In contrast, the early human builders of the Tower at Babel used their God-given builders' instincts to create something to glorify themselves. The ultimate vanity project, which, like Adam and Eve in the garden, sought to challenge the very boundaries of God. The rest of what we call the Old Testament features a number of similar architectural conflicts. God gives Noah a clear set of instructions so that he can build an ark that will save humanity and return us to a place where we might exist in good relationship with him again. But notice how this architectural feat is followed by one much brighter, a refracted beam of colour, perfectly carved out of light itself, a symbol of peace, grace and of covenant. God uses Moses to release the Israelites from the bondage of forced labour towards vanity construction in Egypt and then gives them a template of laws carved in stone to help them build a righteous and peaceful community. Instead, the people build an idol for themselves from gold, refuse to trust in God's plans and then spend many years wandering in the wilderness with no clear direction. Even here, God offers a blueprint for a tabernacle and then a temple, a construct designed to help human beings get closer to God again, a shadowy echo of what he intended right at the beginning, and with a promise of much more to come. Later, the Israelites ask God for a king, so that they can build a human empire like their neighbours, a vanity project. Even then, God adapts graciously to their design, building for them a line of kings that would ultimately lead to the king of kings, a master craftsman who would demonstrate again the way that God builds houses that will last. And so in Jesus we see God's creative building design manifest again on earth. Jesus spent his days building a small community of faithful followers from raw materials lost by the wayside, fishermen, prostitutes, tax collectors, all rough-hewn wooden pieces that couldn't possibly fit together were it not for his grace and his power and his love. Then Jesus became the stone the builders rejected because his shape and dimensions did not fit their flawed human blueprints. And in his death and resurrection, Christ became the cornerstone of God's renewed design, a new way to build a new kind of humanity, a house that will last, made possible through the sacrifice of the only one who could serve as a solid foundation. Jesus left his disciples when he ascended to the Father, not with Ikea instructions and Allen keys, but with an example of how to build through love, grace and sacrifice, and a commission to continue to collect together roughly hewn, abandoned, 
warped and splintered pieces from all over the earth, and by the power of his spirit put them together in a way that brings him glory, restoring honour to each component part. He often described this new building process in horticultural language, just like his father's design back at the beginning of the world. He spoke of mustard seeds and vineyards and fertile ground, and warned us that if we spent our days building larger and larger storehouses for our wealth, we would have laboured in vain. We look out now at a world that is labouring under intense social, economic and spiritual strain, and we wonder how many of our human constructs will continue to stand once this crisis has passed. Surely anything that was built by God will stand, and everything else may stagger and fall, or at least find itself suddenly out of shape or backwards. Our church has existed for centuries, built by God and intended as a community where roughly hewn pieces can exist together in peace and love and where God is glorified. Our labour will not be in vain if our central pursuit is to construct relationships built on agape love and peace, loving the lost and caring for the needy. Each time we speak a word of comfort or offer forgiveness or meet someone's economic need or offer encouragement or generously bless or pray for another with faith and compassion, we add another layer to God's masterpiece at St Swithin's and help to further show the world his glory. In Ephesians 2 it says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is the kind of building that God intends for us. That's how to not labour in vain, is to be a part of his building, built on Jesus Christ himself and empowered by his spirit. And so we should pray, Father God, help us not to labour in vain. Help us to build your kingdom here in St Swithin's according to your design. Amen. Good morning. I'm going to use prayers from the Church of England resources for the coronavirus pandemic. Um, do check them out on their website. They've got lots of useful resources that you might want to use at home. I'm going to use responses as well. So when I say, Lord, hear us, uh, you might want to respond at home. Lord, graciously hear us. So let us pray to the Lord, who is our refuge and stronghold. We pray for the health and well-being of our nation, that all who are fearful and anxious may be at peace and free from worry. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. We pray for the isolated and housebound, that we may be alert to their needs and care for them in their vulnerability. Lord, hear us. 
Lord, graciously hear us. We pray for our homes and families, our schools and young people, and all in any need or distress. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. We pray for a blessing on our local community, that our neighbourhoods may be places of trust and friendship, where all are known and cared for. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. We commend ourselves and all for whom we pray to the mercy and protection of God. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.